Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we take a look at the travel rule and enforcement regulations for exchanges. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Got an email the other day about what I said about ETFs, and I want to read this for you. Hey, Matthew, listen to your show every day and love the show. I think you do a great job breaking down the news. I like the format of the show, the fast pace, and it's not too much crap and stuff we don't need. Well, thank you for that. I hear a lot about speculations about the exchange-traded funds or ETFs for Bitcoin and some of the other alternatives, but my gut feeling is that there's going to be several approved on the same day. I don't see any other outcome. I think the SEC is waiting for all the applications to come in and ha ha ha. There you go. All on the same day. Thanks and keep up the good work. Cheeks. Cheeks is your name, okay? Cool. All right, Cheeks. Thank you for the email. And you know what? I didn't think about that. Will they all be approved or a lot of them be approved on the same day? ETFs, that is. And I'm going to say no. I'm still going to put my money on this. That, and obviously I could be wrong. And Cheeks, please, uh, if you want to send me an email and take a bet on this, I'll put 100 on it. Let's see here. I think still it's going to be one ETF so they can see how everything flows out. If they do all at once, that means it's just going to be just too much. They don't, they're just not, I think they just want to just try it. Like, put their toe in the water, see what if it's warm or not before they jump all in. And I think they're going to do that with ARK Invest or whoever they feel either A is um, disposable or who has the most power to get it done and they think that's going to run it the most responsibly. And I still think that's ARK Invest. Not that they're most disposable, but they're going to run it responsibly and they have the most clout to get it done fast. Anyway, I'm still going to take that bet. Cheeks, send me an email if you want to take that bet. Now let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 10:50 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is in at $48,350, down a half a percent in 24. Ethereum, $3,180, down 2%. Cardano, $2.73, pretty much even from yesterday. Still moon. I wish, I just wish. Oh man, if I can go back a year. Binance Coin BNB around 500 bucks, up 3%, and Tether number 5. Running off the top 10, we have XRP, Dogecoin, USDC, Polkadot, and Solana. And Solana's just been in a steady dip. It's down 10%, about 11% actually in 7 days uh, from its all-time high. Obviously, it's still moon, but it seems to be just, you know, kind of taking a breather. And the crypto space is actually kind of interesting right now. We have a pretty big mix of greens and reds and a lot of evens, so it's kind of just, you know, kind of settling down and figuring out what the next step is and i guess we're gonna have to wait and see total market cap we're at 2.06 trillion dollars of btc dominance of 43.9 percent and an f dominance of 18 percent now it's time for our coin of the day so today we're going to do shift network and that's because our conversation about the travel rule is with shift network and might as well look at their coin and their coin is ranked 353 on coin market cap its current price is a dollar eight cents up 1.3 percent in 24 its 24-hour high though 
was $1.15. Its current market cap is $113 million, and its fully diluted market cap, oh, wait for this, is $2.7 billion. Only 4% of all the shift is in existence. Only 4%. So, yeah, its all-time high is in March 28th, kind of like with everything else, at $6.40. So it's down 83% over the past five months. And so what is Shift? And Shift is a public blockchain protocol for aggregating, verifying, and validating data that is stored in private and public ecosystems, as well as permissioned and permissionless networks. Shift turns raw data into meaningful information that bridges siloed data sets. And so that is Shift in a nutshell. And so what I'm going to do right now is transfer this straight to the company where I am talking to Joseph Weinberg, who is the CEO of Shift, and he's going to talk about the travel rule and what they're using Shift for. And you guys can make your assessment on the company, what he says, the future of their company, and the future of Bitcoin and exchanges and compliance with KYC and AML and the use case of Shift when you hear this conversation. So enjoy this conversation with Joseph. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. 100%, 100%, man. We were just talking about some lockdown restrictions and, and regulations when it comes to COVID around the world. You've been in like three, four different countries, and we we're talking about the comparison between those three different, four different countries. And I'm saying that right now because, you know, there's a difference between, say, America and Italy and Canada and, you know, other places in the EU or even Australia. And that's kind of what we're seeing with exchanges now. You know, there's different regulations coming from different places all around the world. And you know what? They need some rules in place and they need some, you know, reg- like some standards to figure out how to deal with things. We're going to talk about the travel rule today. We're going to be talking about the FATF global regulations as well. And you know what? I have no clue about any of that. So you're going to, you're yep. going to walk us through and school <laughs> us on all of that shit. First of all, tell us about Shift. Tell us about uh, a travel rule, and then let's bridge from there. Yeah, so Shift is a, basically a, an identity and data um, protocol. It, it's really a way of saying that like, we can aggregate a lot of um, on-chain information. We can do that in a way that's trustless. We can effectively help coordination across counterparties, and we can enable a ton of solutions off of that. So it's kind of this identity attestation or data attestation system framework. Uh, and the use cases of that are things across decentralized identity, Uh, The travel rule, which is really around coordination of exchanges, um, really kind of building a decentralized version of SWIFT. uh, And then that starts to lead into on-chain reputation, things like institutional DeFi requirements and a variety of other use cases. So Shift is kind of a layer one with a very large smart contract architecture that allows us to build these kind of opt-in rules that, that translate from the real world to you know, the, the decentralized world. Excellent. And we talked about the uh, travel rule before on this show, but please give us a, mm-hmm. um, a one-on-one on what is the travel rule? Yeah. So the FATF is like a global watchdog, if you will. It's a coordination group of, you know, uh, t- many countries around the world. It's a policy setter. So it sets policy. Regulators take that policy, turn it into regulations, and they're really focused on KYC and ML. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're really focused on a very large section of the ecosystem. The first one, of course, is centralized intermediaries. The, the basic principle of it is we need to make sure KYC information moves across every transaction, deposit and withdrawal, every exchange, every jurisdiction around the world. They want us to implement SWIFT, only SWIFT in the decentralized context. Um, that's kind of like the, the very high level of what you know, the FATF is. Uh, they, they're, they're there to set policy guidelines. You know, right now it's for exchanges. The question I think in the future is, does that go into DeFi, which is something that we'll know about you know, towards the end of the year? 
but effectively they're re-architecting the way the ecosystem works because regulation changes the fundamental landscape of how things are built uh, and how we as an ecosystem have to coordinate. So today Shift is announcing that Binance, uh, Bitfinex, BitMEX, Tether, Huobi are using your framework for uh, compliance. Uh, you're talking about uh, sending KYC AML information across the, the network, you know, from exchange to exchange. If you're sending your Bitcoin from Binance to BitMEX or, te- or, your, or your wallets, I assume that you're, you're, everybody's getting that uh, KYC AML information because of what you're in- integrating. Uh, but I have a question, and I guess maybe it's just an obvious question for most, but I'm, I'm a little confused with it. If you have your KYC AMO on one exchange and you're associated with a certain wallet, um, the, the pseudo-anonymous nature of Bitcoin or these transactions allow you to trace that to anywhere. Why do, why do you need actually multiple players to actually do KYC AML if you do it with one exchange and we can see where you're transacting to? Yeah, so this is a, an old world problem, right? Like we have enough infrastructure, zero knowledge proofs, a lot of technology in the space today that we could probably make it so that the data doesn't need to move. The problem is, is that compliance requirements in every entity uh, requires them to collect data. And the FATF says, listen, we know that you can do this in really interesting ways, but we want you to basically, you know, move information all around the world for, uh, you know, compliance and investigation reasons. So that's the reason why it has to happen. Unfortunately, uh, the, the question for us is like, can we basically enable uh, insurance and guarantees and data security and privacy uh, across user data, regardless of the exchange, regardless of the jurisdiction, and do that while enabling GDPR, enabling privacy on the user side? And also making it so that we don't open up the ecosystem and the largest exchanges to hacks, right? And that's the biggest problem with the travel rule. It enables us to have to move information by law. Um, So the question is, how do we do that only relying on public Bitcoin addresses and or Ethereum or any token address and do that in a way that's trustless, that doesn't require us to trust counterparties, like one exchange to another. So that's kind of what we do through smart contracts and, and kind of a lot of um, a private and public key uh, architecture. You, you said an acronym there, um, and I don't know what it is, GDPR. Yeah. So uh, it's basically the like the data privacy requirements um, from the EU. Those privacy requirements are, are different and similar in the United States. It's really this question around like, I as a platform have to request user consent before moving data. And it's this question around like, how do we guarantee user protection and privacy at the data level? Like no exchange wants to just open up their system and allow data to move in the event that it gets hacked, it's on them. And so uh, we have to basically architect systems that allow users to basically be involved in that data transmission process to, to ensure we have a, high, a higher level of security across everyone. I guess the trend that I'm seeing in the news lately is that let's just use Binance, for example. We see Binance having a lot of regulatory pushback in the UK. Um, we see them uh, in other parts of the world as well, just having a lot of regulatory pushback. What does this do for these exchanges? Because it looks as though you're, you're working with exchanges uh, more so out of the US than in the US. Um, if you're, unless you're talking about Binance.us or, or Coinbase, gentlemen, whatever. Um, I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what is the difference of what you're doing outside to with these other exchanges when it comes to KYC AML opposed to what's happening already, I guess, maybe in the United States? And how is that going to affect users outside of the U.S. that use these exchanges? Yeah, so I think that there's like two different approaches. One, we can rebuild SWIFT. We can centralize a database. We can basically bring all the exchanges into a nonprofit. And that's really what's happening in the U.S., 
The U.S. also and FinCEN have a different set of problems on the exchanges. And so I think that there's a big reason for that. But the biggest in global exchanges, they are the largest liquidity venues in the world. They aggregate the largest network effects. And they also are the ones that don't only operate in one country. So we basically needed to solve this problem, recognizing that if you're Binance, you're in 200 countries uh, and you have a much bigger challenge of coordinating regulatory requirements, user requirements in all of these places simultaneously. And, and when we think about the travel rule, we're not trying to solve it for one exchange in one country. We want to make sure the whole ecosystem maintains decentralization, maintains openness, privacy, that we don't use regulation to close it off. And so that's the reason why we took this approach and, and focused with the largest you know, liquidity centers in the space. They have a much bigger, and I would say more like towards the Bitcoin ethos or the decentralized ethos, like they're, they're there to make sure that the ecosystem is maintained and progresses. Um, and yeah, they're in different countries and regulations are catching up, right? And so everyone's going through this evolutionary process today. That, that's very interesting. I mean, when you say Binance is with 200 different countries, I mean, the logistical headache that that creates for the regulators or for Binance, for people like you is, I, I would say, astronomical. Um, yeah. Is there, is there, and maybe this is what we're talking about today, is there a mm-hmm. standard of of KYC AML that everybody is, you know, uh, subscribing to, they say, okay, this is what we need, regardless of the country, or are we still trying to figure out and fight with or negotiate with different countries, probably a better word, um, what is required and what they're going to accept? Yeah, so we've advised the the FATF for a long time, and, and, and really, like, the FATF is there to try to build a standard policy around what's the minimal data requirements, and then countries kind of retrofit that. And so, the way that we built Shift with all the exchanges collaboratively uh, was to say we can implement that standard rule set as a general purpose smart contract framework. And at least everyone has a high level base way of starting this. And then as you go into each country, you might have to add some requirements, remove requirements. They, they, they slightly vary. And so that's the way we've done it this way is to universalize those rules so that everyone has and understands and can enforce that rule set. You can't change it uh, simply. You all have to come together as a community to do so. I guess the last question I have is how does this affect yeah. the... Uh, user experience and an ecosystem. Obviously, uh, the crypto mm. space is deeply entrenched with certain ideologies and certain. Um, of course. So, I guess, what do you feel? And I don't know if this is a question specifically for your business or your business model or or regulations rolling out in different countries. Um, but what do you feel about the ecosystems or the impact of the ecosystem with this regulation or or KYC yeah. ML? Yeah, so I was a Bitcoin miner since 2010. I'm like one of the earlier guys in the space. And like we started building this because we recognized that like whether, you know, whether we like it or not, there is a direct threat to ecosystem stability uh, through regulation. It's just the way it works. And we designed this to say like the only way that we'll kind of get through this, whether we like it or not, is to try to build censorship resistance and like maintain the separation between protocol and like, you know, regulatory enforcement and, and, and businesses and, and everything else. So um, do we like it? Of course not. Like, I think that this, you know, a lot of this doesn't even make sense. It's antiquated based on the way that the world used to work. Um, but we have to kind of meet them in the middle. I think from a user perspective, there are opportunities. Like, 
there's new systems that can be built off of this do that become interesting um but i think that it is going to be a big user data security you know interesting next 12 months or 18 months because you know we have to make sure these systems have no ability to be you know um uh, hacked right and so We've, we, we have a lot of confidence in the system today. We've built this with the exchanges to make sure that like exchanges are not opening databases, you know, under any conditions to people very simply. And so uh, we think that like, you know, we can probably solve it and, and do it fairly efficiently. But it's this is, as we said, it's totally changing the architecture of our ecosystem, right? And so the question is like, can we do that balance or enable better privacy requirements, um, give users more like, uh, I would say, um, uh, uh, information as well as control over that data transmission process and try to make sure that at least they understand what's happening. Uh, it's an education process as well. So I was discussing with this with my friend the other day, and I was wondering if it actually even matters. I mean, just the, um, I guess, innate properties of Bitcoin, uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Does it really matter if banks or, or exchanges have this KYC AML, if you can innately opt out of the system, do peer-to-peer, -peer, put it through a mixer, yep. use privacy protocols. This is almost like, and what I'm looking, what I'm uh, imagining is this is a, a way to get mass adoption and to make banks and regulatory bodies feel comfortable and feel like they have control, but it's more of like a Trojan horse of, here, let's get everybody into this Bitcoin ecosystem or cryptocurrency. But if we want to opt out, we always have the power to. Is, is Am I right with that? Or is this a, this is a no? You're completely spot on. Like the, the whole point is like regulation enables adoption, right? And it accelerates growth incredibly. So if we can build systems, as you just said, that that make sure that like we're not breaking how Bitcoin works, that opt out is always there. These are just systems that like effectively give ease to you know, the real world that needs some infrastructure and frameworks in place. Like that's the intent is don't mess with the, the protocol like Bitcoin or Ethereum only like allow a system like this to be there when you need to opt into a system like that have you seen the newest superman i think it was the is it henry cavill superman man of steel there's, yep. this, there's this part in superman where he was getting arrested and they put handcuffs on superman and they and i think it was lois lane asked him he said they said why did you allow him to handcuff you and they said it makes them feel better and i feel yeah. like this is what this is yeah, it is. Like, I think that there are like reasons of risk. Like, there, money laundering does exist, and you know, human trafficking does exist. Does the level of it outweigh the proportion of like going for this aggressive approach in regulation? Absolutely not, right? But like, things do exist, and so if we can make it a bit easier. But yeah, make people feel comfortable, let the ecosystem grow ten x bigger. I think the trade off kind of makes sense, right? Um, that's the way that we look at it. But you're right; it's it's totally a Superman situation. If you will. <laughs> Joseph Weinberg, CEO of Shift, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about the travel rule and uh, indulging me on my Superman references. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Moving into today's headlines criminal organizations, mafia groups, are increasingly turning to crypto. This is the headline. So I'm pretty much going to stop there because it's pretty much FUD and I just don't want to have any FUD in my day. Moving on. Crypto adoption in the United States is picking up with 1 in 10 people, actually 11% to be precise, investing in cryptocurrency, according to a poll from CNBC. And they published that this month with 5,530 respondents citing various reasons for why they decided to invest. 60% said they're looking for long-term growth and gains. 44% said they want short-term growth. With a third thing, they just like the ease of making their own trades, while 26% were in it for the excitement. 
crypto is excitement. <laughs> it is exciting, 100%. And if your hair ain't gray after being in for a couple years, then you're doing something wrong. Or you're doing something very, very, very right. And finally, back to the infrastructure bill. We know the Senate voted to pass the infrastructure bill without looking at the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or brokerage amendment. Richard Shelby put a hex on everything, even though Ted Cruz stood up and was like, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't regulate things we don't know about. Well, it went to the House and the House voted 220 to 212 to bar amendments from consideration on the infrastructure bill. A Bitcoin lobbyist said this, Rather than clarify the language that isn't even law, we encourage the House to reject the crypto provision altogether and work with the industry to craft language that keeps the U.S. a crypto innovation leader. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Well, you know, the crypto industry is still trying to lobby. They're still trying to talk some sense into the U.S. Congress, but there's pretty much not much hope anymore. And I just want to point out that this bill is 2,701 pages long. There is no way... That one, uh, the Congress people know what's in this bill. Oh, 100% know what's in this bill. Probably knows bits and pieces that possibly help them leverage whatever political thing they want to do. And just looking at how this all rolls out is just so sad that this provision for the crypto industry is put in there. And literally, we can 100% know that the vast, vast, vast majority, and I'm talking probably about 95% and above, have no clue about the crypto industry. Yet for some reason, they feel they should regulate it and they don't understand it. Now, if they all understood it and they made this choice, I would say, okay, it's an educated decision. I don't like the choice, but at least they know, but we just know it's just out of, just out of ignorance. And it's really sad. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>